Welcome to a special COP27 focus podcast from Argus. I'm Michael Ball, editor of Argus Air Daily, which is our publication covering the North American emissions and environmental markets. Argus had a team of editors and reporters on the ground over the past couple of weeks in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt for COP27. And we want to share with you a review of some of the key developments that came out of the talks and give you a flavor of some of the key outcomes. Uh, I'll be joined in this podcast by my colleague, Georgia Gratton, who is the senior news reporter in London who writes about the energy transition. We were both at COP27, and we look forward to sharing some of our thoughts with you. Thanks, Michael. Look forward to discussing it. So let's just jump right into it with one of the big topics, loss and damage. So uh, this was kind of the key outcome at the talks. And so, Georgia, if you want to give us a little flavor of what came out of that. Yes, I think loss and damage really was the overriding topic of this COP. COP27. And I think it's important to note that it was only introduced to the, the COP agenda at a relatively late stage, quite late notice. And it's the first time that the issue has been included on, on the agenda. So that in itself was certainly a news point. Loss and damage, it's probably worth talking about what, what it means. It refers to the destructive and unavoidable effects of global warming. And these often experienced by developing countries, countries very vulnerable to extreme climate-related events like rising sea levels. I'm sure everyone will be aware there's been severe flooding across the world this year, and that's just one example of these extreme weather-related events. And I think the countries experiencing the most severe effects are typically not the biggest emitters. And so the idea of loss and damage is that developed, industrialised, high emitting countries should provide funds to tackle this issue. And the issue really gathered pace during the week. It was a, a talking point throughout the summit. And late on, the EU's obviously a key block of developed nations agreed to a targeted loss and damage fund if certain conditions were met. These conditions that the EU's lead negotiator, Franz Timmermans, outlined were essentially around more ambitious emissions mitigation targets, as well as a wider range of contributors to this loss and damage fund. So there was some dissatisfaction from the EU from some quarters with this idea of a developed country list as the contributors to a a potential loss and damage fund. This was working off a 1992 list, which is when the UN's Climate Change Convention was established. And Timmermans argued that it should be a 2022 list because economic circumstances have changed quite a lot for so many countries in the past 30 years. Another EU negotiator, Ireland's Climate and Environment Minister Eamon Ryan, also floated this idea of levies on oil and gas company profits, which are, of course, at at record levels this year, and even as a levy applied to air tickets or the transport of of shipping containers. So this idea of bringing private money potentially into a loss and damage fund was quite a hot topic. Ultimately, there was an agreement reached on loss and damage. It's important to note that the agreement was to establish a fund, it hasn't yet been set up, it hasn't been implemented, and that will go alongside what became known as a mosaic of other funding arrangements. So over the next year, a transitional committee will work on how it will be implemented, and I think we expect some answers on that at COP28, which will be roughly this time next year. The text is still quite vague, with references to wider sources of funding, but it was certainly a momentous decision. 
But I think one of those issues there was perhaps some dissatisfaction with was on the mitigation ambition. And Mike, I don't know if you've got some thoughts on that. Absolutely. And I think you're right. This is definitely one of those areas where I think a lot of countries and outside organizations thought that the COP felt like it had fallen short. There was no new language on mitigation that went beyond what came out of the Glasgow COP last year and really the Paris Agreement in terms of calling for a two degrees Celsius limit on global warming with 1.5 C being more of a, uh, an aspirational goal. It's not the, the main goal of the agreement. As you mentioned, the, the EU had sought to link the creation of the loss and damage fund to countries stepping up their ambition, but in the end, this didn't happen. And this was something Timmermans also lamented at the end of the COP, you know, talking about the lack of progress on the issue, and he even accused some countries of attempting to go back on what they had agreed to last year. In addition, there seemed to be some confusion on what the final outcome actually means for updating of nationally determined contributions or NDCs under the Paris Agreement and their overall ambition. And these are effectively the pledges that countries make for what they're going to do to reduce their emissions over the next uh, 20, 30 years. According to some groups, there seemed to be some contradictory language that uh, sets out a work plan for the coming year to work on mitigation. And on the one hand, it seems to call for countries to increase the ambition of their NDCs, but it also seems to limit how that work plan ties into the overall ambition, such as setting or meeting a 1.5 C goal. It seems to say that the work group that's going to be handling this can't really come up with an overall target. And so there seems to be a bit of a contradiction in those. So that's going to be another thing that's going to be talked about, I think, for the next year. Another big issue that's just going to get rolled over into COP28. Kind of alongside that, I think another big issue that came up was the idea of what to do about fossil fuels. There was a lot of back and forth on that. What are your thoughts on that, Georgia? Yes, that was a big issue and one that ran until the final moment, really, certainly from what we heard. So I think it's quite notable fossil fuels were not mentioned in the final text. Technically, perhaps they were. There was an agreement to phase out inefficient fossil fuel subsidies, and this went alongside the agreement to phase down unabated coal-fired power. But that, in the final text, was just a copy and paste from last year's Glasgow Climate Pact. So it doesn't represent any new ambition on the subject. But when we were reporting on the ground on the final day, final few hours of this COP, which ran nearly two days over, I think it ran 39 hours over and was the second longest COP on record. So there were some very long days and nights. And on the Saturday night, we heard of some ongoing, very fraught negotiations on this topic of fossil fuels. So ministers and delegations told me that the issue was being discussed right up until the final hours of the summit. So I think this was just before midnight on the Saturday night. The option still remained on the table, was what we heard. And there was a very strong presence that was in favour of including some language around curbs on fossil fuels. More than 80 countries wanted to include this language. And we heard of some very strong statements being made on the floor during those final negotiations. And several ministers said that it was a huge effort simply to hold the line on the Glasgow Pact and, and not to backtrack from the commitment made last year at COP26. And I heard at one point, just a few hours before the final agreement was in fact made, that actually it was backsliding. There was a lot of unhappiness in some quarters about that. In the end, the final text was just a bit of a, a standstill. Well, obviously, some countries clearly very set against including any language around fossil fuels. A point that did come up earlier in the conference 
was this need to separate the dirtiest fossil fuels, so coal-fired power really, from other fuels like gas, which while it's a fossil fuel is cleaner, it's all relative, it is cleaner than coal. And uh, I think there was some reticence to lump all of those fuels together and in fact concern that that might mean no progress was made. So I'm sure that played into the discussions. And of course, Saudi Arabia said on behalf of the Arab League of Countries that the convention needed to address emissions and not the origin of the emissions. That was another talking point. One less controversial topic was around carbon markets. Michael, you're the expert on this one. I try to be, but we'll see. But yeah, you're right. It was definitely one of the least controversial topics at the COP. It was also some of the least noticed. But unfortunately, similar to some of the other issues like the fossil fuels question and ambition, there wasn't a whole lot of progress out of this COP in terms of setting the final details for the use of carbon markets by countries towards their Paris Agreement pledges. The talks this year had focused on Article 6.4 of the Paris Agreement, which sets up what will become a successor to the Kyoto Protocol's Clean Development Mechanism, which is essentially international emissions offset credit issuance. And 6.2, which sets out the guidelines for trading of what are called internationally transferred mitigation outcomes, or ITMOs in UN speak. And these are the credits that count towards the NDCs and could be traded between two countries. So a lot of these decisions, unfortunately, are getting pushed back next year to the COP in the United Arab Emirates. And there were a few reasons for this. I think it certainly didn't help that the key body that they had set up under the process to implement 6.4 to come up with some of the details didn't hold its first meeting until this past July, which meant things were already a bit behind plan. Also, I think Article 6 just got overshadowed by the other issues that, that we've just talked about, especially loss and damage, but all of the others. So there really wasn't a whole lot of focus from negotiators on that. It wasn't a big deal. I don't think they were quite as worried about resolving it this time around. It wasn't going to hold anything up. But at the same time, I think there was some relief among carbon market supporters that at least the, those debates didn't spill over into the Article 6 discussion. And so that hopefully the next year will bring more progress on those issues. I mean, for example, about halfway through the second week, when we really started to hear a lot of concern, um, protests from some of the G77 countries in China to talk about the loss and damage, some of them wouldn't refuse or really decline to say that they weren't going to walk out or let this lead to a stop to all the other negotiations. And fortunately, that didn't happen on the carbon market side, at least. Though I, I will just add to that, we'll say one noteworthy thing that, that did come out of the COP in terms of markets was a U.S. proposal to create a voluntary market to help developing countries raise money for accelerating the deployment of renewable energy and retiring conventional coal-fired power plants. Under this proposal that John Kerry discussed during the second week, he's the U.S. climate envoy, companies would be able to use credits from the countries that participate to effectively meet or go beyond their net zero commitments. Companies including Microsoft, Bank of America, PepsiCo, and Standard Chartered Bank all signaled interest in participating in the program. But like with a lot of the other things we've discussed today, the details will be worked on over the next year. With all the things that we've talked about, it's up to the countries to implement their own policies and regulations to meet some of these targets in their NDCs. So, Georgia, I was wondering if you had some thoughts on that. Yes, definitely. I think regulation was was a really interesting topic and not one that was necessarily on, on the COP agenda, but certainly something that came up during side events and, in fact, other events that happened alongside COP simultaneously rather than actually at the summit. But I think 
regulation around net zero and the energy transition has been gathering pace for a while because it's still such a, a new area in relative terms. I think there's a bit of catching up to do on the legislative front. In some cases, there are consultations, proposals out in several jurisdictions and some early stage mandates for climate disclosures and reporting, especially on so-called green finance. And I think in itself, it's a difficult term to define. And that's partly why it's quite tricky to, to get this regulation going. But I think this COP galvanised a, a few organisations. There was a new focus on the credibility around net zero claims, because, of course, so many private sector companies and organisations, as well as countries, are making net zero commitments and, and pledges. So early on at COP, a UN high-level group released guidelines for organisations to use to base their net zero plans around and offer some, some integrity to the process, which is, as I've said, of course, a very new one still. And, and that's a, a sort of global guideline led by a UN-appointed high-level group. And I think a former Canadian minister is in charge of that. And then the UK separately on the same day, so this was in the opening days of COP, the UK's Transition Plan Task Force published its framework and guidance around climate disclosures. Those are open until late February next year for public consultation. And once those frameworks are in place, they will ultimately inform UK regulation. And they're intended by the task force as the gold standard for private sector climate transition plans. And there have been calls for regulators to go further. IOSCO, the International Regulatory Association, has called for that. It says voluntary reporting doesn't go far enough, paraphrasing there, but it's called for real legislation on the issue. The UK's financial regulator, the, the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, has a proposal out for consultation which aims to clamp down on so-called greenwashing and the European Securities and Markets Authority has similar consultations open at the moment. And so while these probably would have come up around this time anyway, everything seems to be moving at the same pace across a lot of Western jurisdictions. I think COP has really pushed the conversation forward a little on that. All right, great, thanks. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for some of that. I mean, uh, I remember after the COP hearing some people talk about some of the U.S. stuff that's going to be happening with the federal government, potentially looking at some of these climate disclosures and so forth. So I think that's going to drive a lot of action, a lot of interest in the future. So I think we've covered all the big topics, so maybe we can just kind of wrap up here. And Georgia, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the COP in general. It was certainly a very a long um, and historic COP, I think very much focused on the climate justice aspect, although there have been some issues around whether the, the science was overshadowed this year with a sort of lack of further ambition on mitigation on NDCs. But Egypt's COP27 president, Mr Shukri, made it very clear in his several speeches that no party would be 100% happy with the outcome. It's very much a compromise. There are nearly 200 countries involved and it's obviously very challenging to reach any outcome when uh, you have so many parties involved. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. And it certainly sounded like at the end of the day, not everyone was happy with everything that happened. And I think that's probably what one would expect out of you. It was certainly an unusual COP, as you mentioned, a historic COP. And while I think a lot of groups in some countries 
we're disappointed with some of the outcomes in terms of uh, things like fossil fuel phase down. It is important to note, and I think some groups have said this, that getting loss and damage on there was a huge deal and that shouldn't be overshadowed by the lack of progress on some of these other issues. And we'll get to do it all again next year uh, in the United Arab Emirates. So we'll see what happens there with some of these issues. So thank you, Georgia, and thank you to our listeners, and we hope you found this podcast insightful. We have a COP27 information hub where you can read a wide selection of our articles, both from the reporters that were on the ground and reporters all around Argus. There was a lot to digest, a lot of announcements that came out of there and a whole host of issues. And so to see that, you can just visit argusmedia.com and select the news and insights menu option, and you'll get a taste of uh, some of our coverage. So thanks again, and goodbye. Goodbye.